can have uh, a reading now from Martin, and uh, he will introduce it to you. Our first reading this morning is uh, at the start of the Gospel of John, John's uh, prologue. Uh, so you, if you want to follow it, it's uh, John 1, 1 to 18. But I'm reading from quite a different version here, so it may be easier to, to listen rather than to follow. Nothing. No light, no time, no substance, no matter. The voice was there. Before anything moved, mutated, or mated, Jesus, God's voice, was there with God from the kickoff. How come? Because Jesus, God's voice, is God. Before anything began, they had always been. Before there was even anywhere to be, they were there. Jesus got the name God's voice because he just spoke and stuff started. From nothing to everything, sparked only by the voice. There's nothing that doesn't have the phrase made by Jesus stamped on it somewhere. His words were life itself and they lit up people's lives. His light could blast its way into the dingiest corner. And yet the people who preferred darkness still missed it. So God sends John Baptizer to raise Jesus' profile, to lift up the light. His job spec doesn't exactly fill a page. It just reads, help people take it in and take it on. Obviously, John's not the light, He's just there to build expectation and commentate when the genuine article makes his entrance and starts lighting things up. And when he does, bizarre, no one recognises him. He speaks them into existence, but they don't recognise him or his voice. He arrives at the front door of his people, and most don't even peek out of the spy hole to check. The few who take the risk realise who he is, open up and knock a meal together. To these guys, he starts doling out adoption papers to sign them up as God's children. Conceived by human passion? No, by God's passion. So God's voice gets flesh and bone, skin and blood. He spends time with us. We hang around with him, get to know him, see what he's like. And... As magnificent, as superb, as you'd expect God's only son to be, and heaps more. God's over-the-top gifts oozing from every pore. Everything he does and says rings true. Like John Baptizer says, yeah, I hit the headlines first, but he's the one you should get excited about. He was around well before me. And because he was so stuffed full of good stuff, we benefited big time. Okay, Moses gave us the contract, but Jesus, the liberator, gave us God's gift and God's truth. Loads better. Who's seen God? No one. But we've seen his only son, Jesus. And you don't get closer than that. We're reading from, oh, it's okay, from Luke, Luke chapter 2. Uh, Jesus presented in the temple. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, 
the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of this purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit he, Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Samuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Here under the reading. We're going to pray together and think about our individual needs and that of the wider church here and indeed the whole world. So may we pray together. As we prepare hearts and minds to pray, just reflect on these past days and the blessings and privileges we have enjoyed. So the joy of giving and receiving, so the gift of family and friendship for the stimulus of your Holy Spirit in human lives we 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we come together as a, a community of people. Some of us have known each other a very long time and we understand each other and feel for one another, bear with each other, and can be enormously gracious about the idiosyncrasies that make us who we are. Lord, we thank you for your grace that is able to stretch, your grace that is strong and enduring. And we thank you too for the tenderness of your grace. And that helps us when we pray, not simply out of custom or habit, but as we feel for one another. And those of us this past year who've experienced sorrow in all of its harsh finality, we ask that you will empower us, give us the confidence to trust you for the journey that is ahead. And Lord, we pray for those who are unwell, the suddenness, the frailty of body and mind, we commend all in our fellowship to you today. We thank you for visitors who are with us. We ask that you would bless them, give them a sense of being in the Lord's presence. And Lord, we think much wider, not only of our own church community, but the community of believers in this area. And we thank you for the stimulus, the diversity of worship. May your light shine in all our communities throughout this nation. And we thank you for the generosity of giving as we think of London City Mission and people who, though inconceivable to us, were sleeping out cold last night. We thank you for the unique calling of people who can get alongside folk in need. And Lord, we have no real conception of what it must be like to live in a war zone like Syria or the Central African Republic of man's inhumanity on a scale that is so shocking. And yet, even in the midst of that, your people demonstrate grace and love. We pray that it would be so. So we come to you and we ask that now, as we continue in our worship, we will know your Holy Spirit upon us, helping us as we see with Simeon, bringing a word in season to challenge and awaken, to encourage and renew. Lord, hear us and bless your church throughout the whole world and meet with us all at the various points of need here today, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to introduce you to um, Simeon. Come with me um, to the temple. It's a busy 
temple, it's the central place of worship for Jewish people. And as Joseph and Mary bring their little one to offer sacrifices, they encountered two interesting people, two old people, the sort of people that society normally wouldn't take much notice of. Simeon and Anna. Simeon, an aged man of God, who he was. Well, it's Luke that gives us a bit of an insight, uh, a sort of a mini-biography of this devoted man of God. You have it there um, in these verses 25 to 26 of Luke chapter 1. And uh, this is what we read. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a, um, this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke often makes mention of how the prompting of the Holy Spirit opens up fresh vistas in familiar settings. This is so familiar. This is so traditional. And yet it's the Holy Spirit that opens up the whole issue and we are reading about it. And it's interesting not only who he was, but what he said. Let me try to give you a bit of a context here. Uh, Simeon's words comprise the fifth song, or um, some might even say that these are prophetic utterances, songs of praise for sure, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and recorded uniquely in Luke. Just try to think of the land that we've covered for a moment. For example, Elizabeth, her love song, as we could call it. There's, there are Latin words for all of these, these songs. And so in Luke chapter 1, for example, and in verse uh, 42, let me just read this to you, it says here, um, uh, yeah, where are we? Yes, here we are. In a loud voice, this is Elizabeth, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. It's uh, a song of love. And then you get to Mary's song, which we are so familiar with, um, and it is a song of faith. And this faith finds its roots here in verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. At the very essence of faith is to come to Jesus Christ and to call him your Saviour. Mary's song of faith. And then Zechariah. It's his song of hope in the midst of personal tragedy that was often a symbol of the tragedy of a nation that was spiritually moribund and barren. And it's a song of hope, uh, Zechariah's song. The angel song, the fourth, is a song of adoration or of glory, glory in the highest and so forth. And now finally this in chapter 2 and verse 14, you have Simeon's song of fulfillment. Now this is a tricky, it's an interesting uh, song because um, some people see this as a sort of uh, an appendage to a funeral service. 
let your servant depart in peace. And in some traditional uh, funerals, that's what's sung. It's what we call closure. But it's much, it may well be appropriate for that, but for sure, much wider application. If you do have your Bibles open, um, just one crucial verse as an introduction to this, and then we'll get to the song, and it's in verse 30. Suggest you this is a, a key verse, and I'd like to, um, to read this to you in verse 30. Verse 29 says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss us. Let your servant depart. Okay? In peace. Why? Verse 30 is one of these pivotal verses, a link verse, if you like. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Believing and seeing. But there's more here. Having seen the Messiah, or if you like, having understood who Jesus really is, having come to know him, okay? Simeon more or less says, let's translate it in our language, now I'm ready to die. Bit of a disappointment, perhaps. But hold on a moment. It's often been said, until you are ready to die, you're not ready to live. Until you know where you're going, don't set out. I've seen Jesus. Now I'm in his time scale, not mine. And whether it's greater or lesser, I'm ready. That's a very powerful way to live every day of your life. Mine eyes have seen your salvation. Let your servant depart in peace. It's a key verse. And interesting, this word dismiss or depart um, has several meanings, not unusual, if you like. Uh, it's quite instructive about, if you like, for a moment, about how we live and how we die. The first idea of this meaning uh, to dismiss is to the, the release of prisoners. If you're watching the television yesterday and, and the interview of these people who've been um, locked up in, these, in, in uh, prison in, in Russia with the Greenpeace movement, um, they were released and um, the family were on the television yesterday saying, we've, we've delayed our Christmas celebration until they come home. And that sense of joy and anticipation was tangible. That's the idea. The release of prisoners. Of course, to be released from prison is more than just being locked up in a room or in a jail. We could be prisoners in our mind, in our spirit, in our lives, in our past. What a wonderful thing it is to, to have the release uh, of a prisoner. Wesley's conversion hymn. My chains fell off, off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed. It's the language of release. But there's another picture here. Try to picture it in your mind as I say from verse 30, this word dismiss. It is to untie a ship and set sail on the horizon. That's a lovely picture. Think of the, the nice sunrise this morning. Think of a sunset and setting sail going out into the horizon. Dismiss your servant. And there's uh, one other picture. There could be well be many others. Um, 
taking down a tent. And uh, if you, if uh, let me read to you uh, Paul's account of talking about this in Second uh, Corinthians. Let me just read it to you. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. This idea now of dismissing, taking down a tent, and he speaks in this way. Second Corinthians five and verse one. Our heavenly dwelling. Now we know. Think of it. Taking down a tent. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, in other words, he calls the tent now like his body, okay, our physical body, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. This is altogether different. So he says, he makes the link, he says, therefore, verse 6, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So this idea then of being dismissed is the release of a prisoner, the setting sail of a ship, or the taking down of a tent. Whichever picture helps you as you think about this, what is called the Nuncomitus, this departure. Simeon's song, though, very personal, has an interesting global dimension as well. Let, let, let me read to you from verse 30 to 32. Mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. This is the global dimension, okay? All people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. I mean, they didn't have any dealings with half Gentiles, much less with Samaritans. But here, all people to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And you notice how all-encompassing this is. It's quite something. Simeon's song has a, has a global dimension. And of course it takes up the theme and gains momentum in the gospel, doesn't it? God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. Sadly, we don't have eternal youth. Sadly, we don't have eternal health. For sure, we don't have eternal wealth. We have eternal life. And you can just picture this global dimension of this blessing. Now then, very quickly, Simeon's song of praise becomes, strangely, a searing prophecy in the heart of Mary. This isn't one you tap your feet to. This is one that you brace yourself and wait for impending difficulty. Simeon's song of praise becomes a searing prophecy that sent a shiver through Mary. Let me read it to you. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And here it is. 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's not, that's not the normal Christmas theme, is it? But it's very real to life. And when we come to church, we don't come to pretend or just to escape. Surely we come to face our own frailty, our mortality, and live out our lives with all of its challenges. Now Simeon's song of praise becomes a prophetic word of impending pain. Let's look at three quick headings, uh, mainly in 34 and just one in verse 35. Here it is. A sacrifice. We've got three headings, a sacrifice, a saviour and a sword to help us remember. And there you have all three in these two verses. First of all, a sacrifice. The Messiah would be a stumbling block to many people. People were not going to have him to rule over them. They would reject him. Isaiah's prophecy gains momentum. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. This is the Messiah. Sacrifice, the Messiah, would be a source of stumbling block to many, but equally to others a stepping stone. People would either fall over him or come through him into life or pass into death. And it's no surprise that when Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And this is the word, the same word, a stumbling block. Do you see it? To Jews Foolishness to Gentiles, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. It's a sacrifice. The Messiah would be a stumbling block to many and a source of blessing to many. The cross to a believer is very precious. To an unbeliever, it is of little consequence and to many people, foolishness. That's why the hymn writer could say, when I survey, when I really just stop, not just look, but survey, take time, look in detail at this wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, pour contempt on all my pride, let me depart in peace, walk through life, and my times are in your hands. It's a sacrifice. But also, we're talking about a saviour. You have this, it's a sign. Come back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 34. Let me read it again. Just look at this. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. Can you just picture that? Here is this young girl and here is this very old man taking this little child and saying these things. It's quite profound, isn't it? There is a place for old people as well as young people. And they merge together here. Here is a sign. And the sign that will be spoken against. It's not fashionable to speak about Jesus in 
our country today. People are embarrassed. A sign spoken against. Attitudes in human experience are very interesting and uh, I had a flashback to 34 years ago, almost 35, coming to Long Crendon. And within the first, consciously, first four months, I met two very interesting people. The first person was a man who had been married for 50 years. He had links with the Baptist Church. I can say it now because time has gone and you wouldn't know who I'm speaking about. He was embittered. He was complaining. He was angry with God that God had taken his wife away even though they'd had a wonderful marriage for 50 years. And I didn't feel I could say anything, and I didn't. Within a few weeks, as I recall, I met a lady who had been married for six months. Her husband had gone to the Somme, was gassed, and never came back. She was well in her 80s then, and she talked about six months with a sense of utter joy and privilege that she left an indelible imprint upon me. And I often think about that, you know, in human experience. Why is it? Why is it that some people are like that? Even though they profess to be Christian people. Do we have any right to be embittered about God's providence? Particularly after 50 years? There's something innate in human nature, isn't there? That we are self-preoccupied. And what you have here is this wonderful picture of the generations coming together under the blessing of God. Are we people who are genuinely thankful and blessed? Or are we just locked into our own experience? A sign. This will be a sign to you, says the angel to the shepherds, to Joseph and Mary. You will find the babe wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Glory to God in the highest. A sign. A cross. A saviour. He came to his own. But they did not receive him. Yet to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. A saviour. Our sign. And lastly, a sword. A sword. Look what uh, Simeon says here in verse 35. Let me read it to you. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Would you want people to expose the thoughts of your heart? I don't think I'd want people to expose my thoughts. There's a very, very famous preacher in Edinburgh, Alexander White. He was a Puritan. He actually looked like a Puritan. And he records in his diary, if pe as he's walking down Princess Street, if people knew the thoughts of Alexander White, they would strike him down. It takes courage for a, a Christian to say that. The thoughts of people to be revealed. But wait, a sword will pierce your soul too. It's a unique word for Mary. And from our vantage point now, we picture Mary's agonizing moment as she would stand below that blood-stained cross and Jesus would point to John and say, Son, behold your mother. 
Woman, behold your son. And in his need, providing for her. I wonder, here's a question as we close. How much did Mary really understand? We, we are looking back. She's looking forward. And when we're looking forward, there's the element of the unknown. The inexplicable. How much did she know? Chances are not very much. You may have a different take on that. But all that we know is that this is very human. And it may be that that prophetic word is pronounced upon your family and your loved ones or upon you. You depart in peace. Would you be thankful that God has so blessed you or preoccupied only with what you've lost? It's the big issue, isn't it? The nunc dimittis. Now let thy servant depart in peace. Actually, it means go out to live in peace. To pursue peace. We're not, we're not to be peace lovers. We are peacemakers. It's easy to love peace. Make it in a battle zone. I had to say to the foreman and person responsible for our building in Long Crendon that he'd had enormous criticism. And I said to him, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, and he smiled. But I said, there's a rider to that. For be sure you'll be shot at from both ends. Those are peacemakers, not simply peace lovers. Let your servant depart in peace. There's no place for being passive or simply waiting till events come. Go out positively and live the peace of God and to know the blessing of God. There is one key verse as we bring this Christmas Advent narrative to a close. But here's, I think, a key verse with Mary, if she really understood. It says this, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her, in her heart. Life is incredibly busy, isn't it? You have to take time to stand back and sit and think and then to treasure up, reflect and reflect again yet the frenetic pace of life is such that somehow we don't get round to it we leave here this morning last service of this 2013 and we can say yes and I'm going out in for as long or short as the Lord has ordained for me, I will walk the path of peace and grace. Being thankful for the past and being hopeful for the future. This is a great song of fulfillment. May that be true of us. We're going to sing our final hymn together. Uh, and... It's still good to be singing these great Christmas carols that bring the theme that we've been pursuing here. As with gladness men of old did the guiding star behold. We'll stand and sing.
Yahweh, the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. And may we share in the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Please be seated.